And that's really what you're trying to do. So those two things, control that message and make sure it's right across the board, which means you need to know your craft and you know how to influence other people to say it. And you've got to be able to project manage the sale. Let them know what the steps are that are typical and let them decide on how they want to walk that path. If you master those two things, you can master a complex sale. Welcome to the Sales Prescription Podcast with Ron Halbert and Rusty Jensen. You know, there's all kinds of problems that can prevent you from being successful personally and professionally. And we are here to write you some highly effective and broad spectrum sales prescriptions. And all you have to do is fill them. You know, today, Ron, we're going to be talking about a fantastic subject, which is mastering the complex sale. Yeah, this is a good one. Just, uh, I have to mention this, Rusty, so hopefully I don't embarrass you, but mm. this is something that I would say Rusty excels on more than I've ever seen anyone in my life. Um, complex sales, I think, is probably his specialty when it comes to just his ability overall. I've seen him teach this subject and help people train them, but also do the subject. Um, there was a time, I don't know if I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, but there was a time when I was Rusty's sales developer. It was good times. It was a good time. Good times. <laughs> and I would hand off deals to him that I would think like, there's no way just because I thought it was awesome. And he'd go close those deals. Um, and so I'm excited that we, uh, we're going to get to some more complex stuff over the next few episodes. Yeah. So we're going to do a whole series on complex sales and we've done a lot on prospecting. We'll come back to some of that. We're going to talk about complex sales and complex selling and some of the tips and techniques there, because I think that's really valid. I think if you're in sales development now, you're moving toward complex sales. If you're in complex software sales and you want to know how to deepen that expertise, or if you want to progress it up to different segments, you know, we'll be talking about that. <clears throat> and I think there's some things we can share that can really help you. And by the way, you know, one of the things I would say is, you know, one of the things that made me want to take on any deal when I was working with Ron, part of that psychology is he used to tell people I was, I could close anything. It's like, look, I'm going <laughs> to give him this deal. He'll make it happen. And I, I felt like I had to, like, I felt like I had to step up and do it. It was, it was kind of fun. It was kind of a cool challenge. Yeah, right. It was awesome. Um, it kind of proved some things out that we'll talk a little bit about today. We're going to kind of get into the different phases of complex sales. So to start us off, Rusty, talk to me about like, the three components of a complex sale. I mean, because a lot of people think of simplistic sales and complex sales, and oftentimes they put them in this whole new world from each other, like mm -hmm. as if they have nothing to do with one another. But I think that when you break it down, there are some similarities between something that is more complex and something that is more transactional. It's just the speed of the way things go. So I know that there's three specific components. Walk me through those. Yeah, I mean, really, at the end of the day, a sale is a sale. You know, Tony Glick on a previous episode of our podcast basically said any signature, all signatures smell the same at this comment. And, you know, this is particularly for those that are moving into a account executive roles or have done more transactional sales and are trying to get into tech or something more complex. At the end of the day, sales cycles are the same. It's just that in a transactional sale, it all happens very quickly. You can do it inside of a close, but inside of a complex sale, it's stretched out over a period of weeks and months. But the psychology of it and the phases are really the same, and there's three distinct phases. The first phase is a research phase where you're trying to learn and understand what it is that you're dealing with so that you can essentially weigh benefits versus potential cost. And it's just gaining an understanding of what it is you're dealing with. The second is once you have moved into more of an active buying phase, 
you get into what we call the evaluation phase. So in the evaluation phase, you're really breaking down and trying to understand exactly what it is that you're getting into and all the details. You're you know crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's in the evaluation phase. And then the third phase is commitment. This is when it gets real. This is when you're actually going to make a commitment to move forward with a product or service that could have cost implications, that could have time implications. And that's when it gets real. But there's always those same phases. You have to learn about what's going on. You have to evaluate it to make sure you, you get all the details covered. And then you have to get into a point of commitment. And those are three distinct phases, regardless of the type of sale. Yeah. So let's break those down. Let's talk about each one individually. And we'll start with my favorite, which is the research phase. Yeah, right. You know, most people know this, but I'm, I'm all about sales development, prospecting that, like getting into the sale mm-hmm. overall. And that research phase, I think, I think a lot of salespeople look at it kind of in an interesting way because there's a couple aspects of that research phase that can make a big difference as far as when your prospecting is entering the buying cycle. So walk me through that, like just overall. Yeah, I mean, about 40% of the time that it takes to get through a sales cycle is spent on the research phase. Mm -hmm. And the research phase is just gaining a basic understanding of what it is that you're dealing with in terms of what you need, what's available, what are the options, what do people typically pay? They're just trying to understand what's going on. They're researching it and trying to learn it. And it progresses through two points. You know, the first is when you have kind of a latent need where you'll gain an understanding of something just by getting exposed to it. And you'll, you'll learn about something that's a new potential. Oh, okay, you, you can actually pay for this kind of service. Let me do some research into it. And then it becomes, as you learn more, as it develops, it then becomes an active need where you've essentially decided, look, I'm going to go through and, and evaluate this further. And it becomes more active demand. But as you research, a lot of times it's done independently, uh, most of the time. I mean, if you think about buying a car, you don't go to a car dealership with a blank mind and say, hey, I'm here to just see what other types of cars are available. I haven't even thought about it. I don't know if I want a car. I don't know if I want a Jeep. I don't know if I need a truck. Like, you don't do that. You go through and do research and gain an understanding to do it before you engage salespeople. You know, sometimes you feel embarrassed to engage with somebody and have zero knowledge at all. And you also feel like you might be vulnerable. Somebody might take advantage of you. So really the research phase is, is a big part. That's done online. It's done by talking to people. It's done by, you know, however our favorite ways of, of getting research, YouTube, whatever else, you're just trying to learn what it is you're dealing with. And, and the educated. difference between latent and active is something that's near and dear to my heart, right? So if your company has a, an outbound lead generation engine where they're looking to get you as a sales rep or your sales reps into the right buying persona with a company that has goals around things that they want to improve that your product can solve. That's really all you can ask of an outbound engine is to drive that for you. It's really getting lucky when you find someone with an active need. We call those bluebirds, right? right. That's the difference between a seller and an order taker is can you take someone from a latent need to an active need or does it always have to be an active need in order for you to win a deal, right? And the biggest thing for a lot of sales reps that I've seen is the best sales reps out there, they love latent need deals because they know they have a product that's valuable. They know that they can help the clients 
I oftentimes think about the first person to create shoes that ever lived on earth. Okay. Right. I think this is kind of a stupid analogy, but it's true, right? Somebody at some point thought, you know what a good idea is? I keep getting cuts on my feet running around through the the bushes and the rocks. I'm going to put some shoes on there. Right. (laughs) Right. And I think about like how, how, how funny it must've been for their friends to be like, look at that idiot. He's covering his feet up with shoes, you know? And, and they didn't understand that there was a latent need for something like shoes. Now shoes have a ton of value, especially if you're running around in the wilderness. Right. But at some point it was a latent need. It wasn't an active need. Now over time, nobody was going out into the wild without some kind of feet covering to protect their feet from the elements. Right. Right. And that's really what you're trying to do is you need to be able to take them from that latent need to the active need just to give another example, and this one's kind of funny, Jay Oliver, who was on a previous episode, and then a guy we used to work with by the name of Chris Sargent, both awesome sales enablement people, they came up with this analogy called the zoo bear analogy. And I can't remember if we mentioned this on the Jay episode, but right. man, it is hilarious to think about because, you know, the first time I think about, I go to the zoo and I watched the bears in the bear cage. And the zookeeper throws a salmon in the cage. And I just remember looking at the bear and the bear looks at the salmon is like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) I don't want that right now. Right. Right. And I think about bears in the wild. Like you throw a piece of salmon in front of a bear in the wild. It's going to eat that thing hundred percent immediately. Yes. It's not going to sit on the ground for 12 seconds. You know, it might sniff it before it swallows it whole, but it's going to eat it for sure. And Oftentimes, sales reps become zoo bears. If you work for a company that has a fantastic marketing engine that's just driving a lot of active need into your pipeline, we sometimes have a tendency to think that that's what pipelines should look like. That's what we should expect from everyone. But when you start developing outbound channels and getting more sales reps and shrinking territories and making it so that you actually have to sell rather than just take orders, that's when you need to really step out and say, can I take it from a latent to an active? And I want to ask you this, Rusty. So Mm -hmm. I feel like this is something that you executed at such a high level. Like I remember calling multiple people when I was your sales developer, scheduling meetings for you where they're like, we're good. We already have call center technology. This is back when we were selling call center technology. We already have that. We don't need anything else. And I would just be like, hey, listen, we have something I feel like, you know, can I just bribe you for 20 minutes to meet with my guy? He can really walk you through what makes ours different than what you have. They had a true latent need. No, no active, nothing. Right. And you were able to take that. Now, if you take them from a latent need to an active need, what are your chances of winning a deal? They're much higher, right? It's much higher because, you know, if you think about the way that a cell progresses in general, Mm-hmm. whether or not you're the impetus for it, or if somebody just figures it out themselves, they find that they have a particular problem that they have to solve, or they feel like there's a gap. And sometimes they then need to identify that the gap, then they do research and they have to prioritize it. They have to, they have to feel that this is what I need to be spending my time on. And sometimes people can come to that conclusion through like demand marketing. You can just put information out there, generate awareness. They can look at your technology and they can realize, oh my gosh, I have a gap. But if you're in business and you're selling good software and you're 
going out there and trying to build your company, most people don't have what you have. They don't necessarily have the answers you have. And if you can help them to see it and you can help facilitate that conversation and help them through the education process, you can do a few things. The first thing you can do is actually save them a bunch of time. So you can show them how to do the research. You can help them see what they need to be looking at. You can help them see the results that other people have had, and you can actually accelerate the research process. And you can also gain trust to where that research is being done faster, and then they're taking the content that you're providing, and you're, you're executing true salesmanship. You're trying to qualify an account and develop a need versus just qualifying them out. And what happens is the way they react to you is they start counting on you. Mm-hmm. They start depending on you. They trust you as someone who's providing them information. And so what you're actually doing is you're creating a disadvantage for your competition. Yeah, I was going to ask this question, like, what are the chances of winning the deal if your competitor does that? Well, that's risky. Because <laughs> then you come in and you're like, well, tell me what you're looking at. Yep. What vendors are you looking at? You know, there's this idea of, of qualifying a deal out where a salesperson will set up to the table and it's like the, the salmon, they throw the salmon to you and it's like, how fresh is that salmon? Yeah. How long has it been there? Where <laughs> is else it is covered it in lemon pepper already? Yeah, that's, right. that's exactly <laughs> what it is. And, and when you have like kind of a, of a standoffish approach to it, it turns people off. Yeah. It turns them off. And your, your competitor's in trouble if you're the one who's established that value. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think about, I think about this fact. If you were not the one to take them from latent to active, chances are someone else did. Yes. And it's not a place you want to be in a complex cell to be column B. Column B in a complex cell is scary, right? So meaning your competitor is column A and they are comparing you to your competitor because throughout taking someone from latent to active, a lot of what you're going to focus on is your company's core strengths. Right. which might not be the exact same as the core strengths of your competitors. And so if they're comparing your strongest strengths to things that isn't their core focus, even if it shouldn't be the core focus, you believe it should be. And so you're going to lose that deal. That's right. And, and to give everybody some perspective, I mean, some of the things we want to help to expose to you are mistakes that are commonly made mm-hmm. and skills that are commonly not developed if you don't develop really good skills when it comes to helping to get in with people, build trust and help become someone who can walk with them through their research and their learning process, if you develop the skill just to do it at the end of the learning process, you can still be successful, just not as successful. Mm -hmm. You just won't, you won't be able to close as much or sell as much and you won't have the same kind of talent. You have to have both of those skills. How do you get in with someone when you're placed as column B when they have an active need, how do you insert yourself into that process and become a great asset? And how do you actually cultivate and develop the research and help get them to prioritize what it is that you do? You have to have both skills. You can't have one. You can't rely on one. You got to have both. Yeah. Oftentimes, if you get in early, your column A, it's just going to come down to either you or no decision, one or the other. There's so much strong, less likelihood of a chance they're going to go with a competitor at that point. Um, but if you wait for active needs, you know, you're up against not just no decision, but also the competitor potentially winning. Exactly. So research is the first phase. Mm-hmm. Walk me through the second phase, Rusty. And let's talk a little bit about that in more detail. What What is the difference between research and evaluation? 
No, I mean, the second thing on, on evaluation is once you've decided that you want to actually go forward and pursue a product or a path, and you've generally decided, I want to at least get serious about it. So you've not yet decided to buy anything. You're just like, look, well, I'm going to get serious about evaluating this. We all don't want to get into a point where we're bamboozled. You don't want to buy something and then get something totally different than you thought you were going to get. And so you have to go through an evaluation and find out exactly what are the details. Because everybody knows that there is a product that someone offers and says, hey, it's the same as this. Here, it's a car. You want a car? Yeah, I'll buy a car. And you end up getting it and it's totally different. It doesn't have any wheels. It's missing an engine. Like what's going sounds on here? Like, sounds like you've ordered something off of Wish before. <laughs> That's right. That happens all the time. Or like you buy something online and you think it's like way bigger than it is. Yep. You know, it shows up and it's like six inches tall. You thought it was six feet. Yeah. What's going on? That happens. And so when you go through the evaluation phase, especially when it starts getting more serious, you just have to make sure that all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed. You know exactly what it is that you're getting and that you have the right kind of expertise and the right kind of perspective weighing in on it to make sure that it's, that it's done right. Yeah. That's really what you're trying to do in the evaluation phase. I want to know exactly what it is that I'm getting, and I want to make sure I'm going to get it. Yeah. So it's, it's very thorough. So it's a, it's a very serious commitment. And what's interesting is that you go through a similar concept, right? It's, hey, we engage. I want to see the product. I want to understand what it is. Tell me what it generally costs. Like in the research phase, you're gaining this information, but in the evaluation phase, you're just doing it in detail. Okay. Give me a detailed listing of every single cost. Tell me exactly what it is that I'm getting and how I'm going to get it and how long it's going to take and who's going to deliver it. And starting when you start getting into all of the details because you just don't want to miss anything. So it's would you say, and, and maybe, maybe this is part of the next phase, but one thing that I think about when I think about evaluation phase is I start to think, value or ROI. Like they're really looking for what value or what return mm -hmm. they're going to get. Like, am I going to increase my revenue with this? Am I going to lower costs? Am I going to increase my customer satisfaction? Am I going to increase my employees efficiencies? And they start to not just look at it, but truly quantify how much will I increase my revenue or how much will I decrease my costs? Or how much will Mike CSAT go up? Mm -hmm. And they start to truly quantify those values where the research phase, they're believing that it can happen. Now they're talking about how much it can happen. Yeah. Right? And that's how they're judging whether or not it's worth the amount of money that they're going to spend, right? Because if I spend a million dollars and I save, you know, 300,000, it wasn't worth it. So I need to know the true value in a, in a truly quantified form. Exactly. And, and it's kind of the difference in the research phase. You understand if I buy this technology, I will have a more efficient organization. You have that understanding in generalities. But as you get into the evaluation, just as you said, it's got to become specific. This is specifically what is going to happen. Because people, you realize like there's an opportunity cost. You can spend your money and you can spend your time in all kinds of different areas. So I can buy other things and I can work on different kinds of projects than what it is you're trying to sell to me. So we need to make sure that the prioritization, I am selecting this product, this service, this mechanism, whatever it might be. I'm choosing this over other things for a reason because it's higher in my list of priorities because it make a higher impact. And a lot of times you have to specifically quantify what that impact will be so that you can get resources to commit to it. Yeah. So where is the value, right? Because technically I could buy a CRM, like a system that houses my customer's data, 
or I could use a notebook with pieces of paper. Yep. Right. Those are the two options. Those are the options. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So or Microsoft what, Excel. Whatever it so is. am I going to get more value out of the piece of paper, you know, in a notebook, or am I going to get more value out of having a, a database, a, a CRM database that houses all that information? And, and where is the value that I'm going to receive from each? And I will say, if you're a salesperson listening to this and you are not helping them quantify, like literally pulling out a calculator and helping them do the math of how they're going to increase revenue, how they're going to lower costs, how they're going to increase efficiencies, how they're going to increase their CSAT, and helping them do the math to quantify it, you're really missing something here because they're doing the math on their own at that point if you're not doing it together. And you want to make sure they're doing it correctly. Yeah, and because in the evaluation phase, typically people are not as concerned about the price at that time. So on the research side, you understand, okay, what is the pricing? Okay, I understand what it is. Got it. They're not so worried about what it costs as they are just making sure that here are the things that I'm expecting to get and here's the prices I'm going to pay and that's not going to change until later. And here's the value I'm going to get. They're just trying to collect all of that data to be used in the commitment phase. Right. So they're just trying to collect it to understand it to be used in the commitment phase. But it actually doesn't become like a priority or a game changer or something that feels critical until you get into the point of commitment when it starts to get real. Right. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the third phase, which is commitment. Like walk me through what happens during that phase. Is it just the pricing at that point or is there more to that? Well, and, and there is a, there is a pricing element, but once you have gotten to a point where you feel like, okay, I've got my arms fully around the fact that I understand what it is I'm getting. I understand what it costs. I understand the implications of it. What's going to take to get it going like you understand everything in the sales cycle, you get it. Then you're saying, okay, now we got to move to commitment. Now it's time to sign off on something where it gets real. <laughs> and everything just kind of disappears, right? The solution, you know, what you need to solve for, all that stuff kind of disappears. And what it becomes, it just becomes, am I making the right decision? And it feels like high risk. There's a high investment potential that's coming. And, you know, we'll get into some more specifics. I'll give you an example of a complex cell of how that'll move. But, but now it gets real. I've got to actually put pen to paper. I need to actually separate myself from this money. I need to make these time commitments. And so in the commitment phase, that's when you're feeling like the highest amount of risk and you're feeling the most uncomfortable potentially. And it's time to make that decision. And it's time to do it. And that's when you're going to the point of contracting reviews, getting budget approval, and that's when you're taking all this information that you've collected and you're going to make a final decision. Whether you're taking that to a committee who makes that final decision or an executive team, or if you're just making that decision yourself, depending on the sale type, um, mm-hmm. that's, where, that's where it's starting to get real. Yeah. So I would say, you know, just so happens that right now I'm on the teetering between the evaluation and the commitment stages of buying a new truck. I went and test drove several this last week. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm ready to upgrade to something that can tow a fifth wheel that my family has. My current truck cannot tow the fifth wheel. So I'm borrowing my stepdad's truck for that, which I need to get my own, you know, and it's interesting to go to the dealerships and the trucks that I'm looking at are wildly expensive in my opinion, like astronomically expensive. And it's hard for me to provide enough value to commit Cause I'm like towing the fifth wheel five times a year doesn't seem like enough value 
to commit, the numbers aren't adding up for me, right? And I'm just waiting for that sales guy that can help me paint the picture in my mind and create enough value for me to sign these, you know, giant check for this, right? And that kind of makes me think about the difference between a complex sell and something that's that's a little easier, mm-hmm. you know, something that's less complex because we've sold both before. And I want to talk a little bit about like the process of like a more transactional sale, because I would say most of the time selling to consumers is more transactional. If you're mm-hmm. selling to a person, not a business. And part of what makes that different is the fact that you have less decision makers, right? Me buying a truck is basically my decision with my wife supporting me in the decision, right? But let's specifically talk about pest control because everybody knows that, you know, I did pest control for a long time, have a passion for that. And oftentimes I would knock on a door and I would start by introducing myself, building trust and I would immediately go into giving them information. So they they can do research by me telling them I'm going to be in the area. Now, most people already know what bugs are. They already know that bugs come into their house and they don't like seeing spiders crawling on their bed. Yeah, they have a basic understanding. They yeah. have a basic understanding of right. what it is, right? So a lot of the research has just been done throughout their life, but many times they don't understand what goes into it. So taking them from that research phase to evaluation, for me, hinged very strongly on just price. Is this inside of my budget? And so I would start the research, giving them information so they could do their research by starting out on how much is this product? Because at the end of the day, everybody knows you can go buy pest control at Walmart for $30, a bottle of that, you know, the spray pest control. Yep. So why am I going to spend more than $30? And I would start with price. And then once they said how much, you know, and I've shared this before, but this, my pitch would sound like, and I'm sure everybody's heard this because everybody's had door knockers, you know, I'm going to be in the neighborhood tomorrow. My, my technicians, if you can get it done with the other people getting it done at that time, it's going to save me money on gas. I'll do it for you for cheap. And when they would say what's cheap, I would give them the price and then I would say, and that's for everything. And then I would hope that I would get some objections at this point and they would start truly evaluating the service right. that we can provide. Cause they're going to, they're going to know two things, which is what does cheap mean? Yep. And what is everything? Yep. They want like, what is this? Yep. What are these things? And then, so they'll start asking, buying questions. Yep. And then as you give answers, then they'll, they'll switch over and they'll start thinking, okay, I kind of like this, but I need to know the details. And then they'll bring up concerns and objections, which you want. Yep. And you're you're going in. You want those, right? Because at the end of the day, like you're providing a service that they could do on their own, but you have more equipment and better equipment to do it. Right. So I would talk to them about how we sweep the eaves above your home for those spider webs and wasp nests. So you don't want the spiders coming down into your house through the eaves. Right. And how we spray up there and then we spray around the base of the house and then we go to the yard and they're thinking, wow, that's a lot of work. I don't want to do all that work myself. Right. 
and now they're starting to ask questions. Will it affect my kids? Will it affect my dog? Will it, you know, how does this, you know, how long will this take? Right. You know, all these questions start to come out. That's true evaluation. Right. And then comes commitment. Now, once the commitment comes in, that's when they bring in their spouse usually. Mm-hmm. Well, I need to ask my spouse or my roommate or someone else that lives in this home or my landlord or whatever else. Right. And that's when you are either in, you're going to win it or you're in big trouble, right? The worst thing that can happen in that scenario, I told this to Rusty earlier is I hated this is, is they'd say, yeah, l- let me call my spouse real quick. And before I could educate them enough to sell internally to their spouse, they would call and say, Hey honey, do you want uh, pest control? No. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, she, she doesn't want it or he doesn't want it. And you just lose it off the bat, right? You need to get yourself a champion. I know you're going to talk about this in a complex cell, but you have to be able to get the spouse to champion your cell to their spouse. Right. So yeah. they're calling and saying, hey, they get all the way up in the eaves. They sweep those down so we don't have spiders coming through there. And then they're getting the base and then they go to the yard. They'll come inside. They'll go in the garage all this extra work, or you can do that this weekend, honey. Do you want to do all that this weekend? <laughs> right. And then they're like, Oh, well, I don't really want to do all that. So they, they sell internally. So really a lot of this, you know, and then commitment comes contract comes out and we sign the contract and, and it's not a lot of money pest control. You know, we usually did the first service for 69 bucks somewhere in that vicinity. Right. So it's not like talking about a, a million dollar contract. Like a lot of these software companies are selling these days. And that will impact the complexity of the sale. Right. But tell me, you know, listening to that process for something that is transactional, walk me through some of the similarities and differences that you see between that and how a complex sale works overall. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, it's really those two things, which is the level of price and the level of expertise. Expertise, yeah. So when you look at the, the idea of buying pest control, some of the educations is pre-done. They know all about the potential options out there and they know they have a really good base of understanding. So as you get right into the pitch, you can help them get to a point of evaluation or wanting to ask evaluation questions quickly, but it takes longer and more of a complex sell. So the evaluation process and the research process itself is typically it can take 40% of the sell cycle. So if you're dealing with something that takes six months to sell, you're talking maybe two and a half months or so that they're actually doing research and learning things. They're attending webinars, they're reading white papers, they're learning different things. They're talking to friends and other people that are, that are doing it. And they're trying to understand. And we can use an example of previous company, Nice Systems. So if somebody's a contact center leader and they're looking to replace their contact center infrastructure, typically they will encounter a problem. That's the first point. Mm-hmm. They'll encounter a problem or maybe they'll talk to a salesperson that'll help them see that they have more options out there that they didn't know. But they'll go back and they'll start researching, reading materials, looking at comparisons, trying to understand what's possible, what are best practices, and what does it take to get there. And they'll learn about a lot of things, the technology, the way to deploy it, how contact centers should function, what's possible. They're trying to learn about all of those things. And then when they engage salespeople, they have a fundamental foundation in place first. And then they get with salespeople and they want to understand more. And this is someone who's really running a contact center on the business side. We're we're not yet involving anybody else in the company. So as they engage with a sales rep and they start learning more, they're going to ask a lot more questions, try to understand what's available. They want to see technology and understand the price because they're trying to weigh, is this worth doing it or not? What does it take to do this? What does it take to get from where I am to where I need to be? And because it is more complicated, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces. 
It just takes more time to do that research and that engagement. And oftentimes they'll want other opinions. So as you start doing this research and you start engaging with this person, it's not a one call close or conversation. It's look, I mean, I showed you some of this technology in this conversation. Who else would you like to have involved? And they'll say, well, you know, maybe I'll grab some other people on my team and they'll bring them in in the same department. And they'll all kind of participate in this educational process with the salesperson. Mm -hmm. And our job as salespeople is to walk them through that educational process. And essentially what they're trying to understand is what does good look like? What does this technology help us do to get there? And what does it generally cost? They have to weigh, is this something that is worth engaging or not? Now, this decision is also not made just independently. People don't just say, oh yeah, it's worth doing because a company has to decide this, not an individual. So when we talk about price and we talk about expertise, there's also approval levels and things you have to consider. So a contact center leader may talk to their VP and say, can we go deeper into this and do a serious evaluation? Here's what I found. Here's the general concepts as to where we should be and where we are and why we have gaps. And when they start understanding that, they will then grab other people inside the organization and progress toward a more serious evaluation. Now, a serious evaluation in a complex cell typically involves bringing in external expertise. Mm -hmm. So there are limitations to what you know. I remember when I started selling contact center software, I got on my first network engineering call to talk about how to design networks and connectivity into the software systems. I literally went through this call and I listened intently and took notes. And I swear to you, I was listening to a totally different language. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. Because I lacked the expertise. Well, so did my contact center leaders. They didn't have the networking expertise. So you bring in networking people, both on the customer side and on your side from a sales perspective. I'm bringing in a network engineer. And then we get into more complex demos of the software. And you're bringing in sales engineers and other people that are expertise. So when you go through evaluation, it's not talking about just sweeping the eaves. You have to kind of walk through that whole process and that full description and all the capabilities with people with engineering and technical backgrounds. So you're having networking conversations, sales engineering and software integration conversations. You're having, in a, you're having conversations around, you know, what the implementations look like and what the project plans look like. And you're trying to get a full picture of what's going on. And what makes it complex is you just have to understand what does it take to get there? Okay. What are all the different parts and pieces? And that's what makes it complex. You're involving different people, you're bringing them in, and you're all having conversations on both sides. You're bringing in experts. I'll say, I'll add to this. Like I've made the mistake before Rusty where I wanted to buy a product and I didn't involve IT in one scenario when I wanted to buy a product. Yeah. And honestly, it came down to like, I thought we were going to sign the contract. I was fully convinced. I know that the sales reps quarter was hinging on our contract signature and I did not involve the right people, you know? And, and a lot of that was, you know, I'm the buyer in this scenario. So in truth, you know, I was a little bit upset with my sales rep that he didn't explain to me how in every other scenario he would involve people from the IT group to make this purchasing decision because he wasn't surprised when I told him, hey, I'm getting pushback on IT from this. He's like, oh, yeah, that's that's fairly normal. Well, then why didn't you help me bring these people in sooner, right? So I would say this is huge. It's huge for a complex sale for the salesperson that is managing the sale to make sure that not you're not just bringing in your experts, but you're making sure that your experts are talking to their experts. Right. That conversation <clears throat> has to occur. I was a champion for the product I was trying to buy. I was trying to sell it internally, 
but I didn't know that I needed to sell it to this specific group, right? So sometimes you may think like as a sales rep, oh, I'm, I'm getting by without having to deal with IT like I normally have to deal with. You're probably going to end up losing the deal as a result. Well, a lot, a lot of sometimes people inside the company will say, hey, I don't want to get them involved because it increases the complexity too much or it makes it, you know, difficult. We could, you know, that happens. But you really, in a complex scenario, especially when you're evaluating something on a new logo side and you're trying to acquire new technology that has like deep technical requirements, you're not going to get past it. You mm-hmm. need to help them through it and you need to help them see it. And so that's really when it becomes like secret sauce. You've got to get the right people involved. You got to understand how to talk with your champion in such a way to get them comfortable with it and then expand that sphere so that you can, you can get it to move because you are the expert in the sales cycle and they, they don't buy software every day. You sell it every day. Yeah. Do you need to understand it better than they do and position yourself in such a way where you can be consultative and help them to see that? And it's, it's tough to do. That's a lot of massaging you have to do to get it done. As a, as a buyer, like we rely on the sales reps information, mm-hmm. you know, like for me as a buyer, I need you to tell me what I need to ask. I need you to tell me because I am going to have to go to finance. You know, this isn't coming out of my pocket. This is coming out of a company's budget. Right. So I've got to go to finance. I've got to go to IT. I've got to go to the trust office. Like all of these places are places I'm going to have to go. And if you don't prep me for those conversations or let me know that that's going to come up, then oftentimes it's going to make it very difficult for you to win the deal. That's right. And it's going to cause frustration for me. That's right. And then when it comes to like the commitment side, oftentimes, you know, if you're selling something like pest control, you're, you know, you're just dealing with the household members. So whoever's on the door, they make a commitment. There's other people in the household. Sometimes they'll just take the risk and buy it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they'll say, Hey, I'll buy it, but I'll call and cancel if I have to, you know, th- those kind of things. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with a company, the commitment phase is more rigid. So there are processes that are installed. So in order to get approval, typically you need like a VP or someone who represents the executive committee, who then agrees to go into a contracting phase, who agrees to go into the financing and purchasing process so they can actually go and actually establish budget. Like this idea that budget is at the beginning of a sales cycle is not true. It's not a thing. Budget is actually allocated formally through a request, through a contracting process, through purchase orders that are then executed and created that they can then, you know, sign an agreement and then draw invoicing against. Like it's a, it's a very formal process and it has to be very accurate. So one of the things in a complex cell that slows things down is you just have to make sure that all of that is very carefully lined out. And when you get something signed and you go and get it implemented, it can't really change yeah. after the fact because that's what can really affect companies and their budgeting processes. So that's really more of an example of a complex cell versus a simple cell. But if you think about it, it's the same processes. There's an education phase. There's an evaluation phase, whereas everything's in details. There's a commitment phase. It's just that it's drawn out and it's a lot more detailed and formal. Yep. I think I, think I would just say like, you know, and this is probably my final thoughts on this and I'm sure Rusty will follow it up. But at the end of the day, what you have to realize is it's all people, whether it's a business or it's a consumer, it's all people. You're selling to people. People care about things in a deep way. Like they, they need to feel that it's the right feeling too. And you need to lead them on that pathway overall. And so to finish up Rusty, like talk to me about like mastering the complex cell, how to master it. That word mastering it is, I think big here. 
Yeah. And there's a lot of parts and pieces. And as we go through this podcast series, you're going to see that there can be a lot of complexity to what's going on. And there's a lot of psychology. There's a lot of positioning. But at the end of the day, you really have to remember two things. One is that you have to be able to control the message because you're bringing in all kinds of different people, because you're bringing in all kinds of different resources. You as a salesperson cannot communicate everything that needs to be communicated, but you have to control what's being communicated. You have to make sure that the message is coming across and it's helping them from an education standpoint, from an evaluation standpoint, and a commitment standpoint. You have to make sure that every resource that engages in your account, whether they be technical resources, leadership, others, that they are messaging the way that needs to be messaged. And the only way for you to control that message is to understand the entire ecosystem. You have to have a high degree of understanding as to what you sell. You have to have a high degree of understanding as to how your customers are currently functioning today and what the ideal state is and what it should be. And your ability to sell something is your ability to talk people through where they are and where they could be and help guide them. So you have to master your craft and then you have to control that messaging and make sure that everybody coming in is communicating the right way. And the second thing you have to be able to do is to project manage the sale. You have to be able to guide your customer through a sales cycle and not let them guide per se, but to actually show them how to go through. You have to control it. Mm-hmm. Now, when I'm talking about controlling the sale, I'm not talking about going in and bullying people. Ron, let me tell you what you need to do here. Huh? Yeah. People want to buy. They don't want to be sold. People don't like to be told what to do. But you know what they love? Is options. They want to know this is the secret sauce. Here is what is typical. This is typical cycle. What is it that you would like to do? That's what people want to hear. They don't want to be told, all right, next we need to do this, then we need to do this, then we need to do that. They just need to be told this is what is typical. And here's what I'd recommend. What would you like to do? They want to stay in control. And if you can do that and you can guide the process, you can help them see what the path looks like. You can help them walk that path. Because you can't make the mistake of believing that anybody you talk to, your champion or somebody you're working in your company, understands the buying process or how sales cycles or how companies make decisions. You have to know that. And in a couple of different podcasts, we'll talk about more on the project management side. We'll talk about how companies make decisions. But you need to understand them so you can help guide them. And that's really what you're trying to do. So those two things, control that message and make sure it's right across the board, which means you need to know your craft and you need to know how to influence other people to say it, and you've got to be able to project manage the sale. Let them know what the steps are that are typical and let them decide on how they want to walk that path. If you master those two things, you can master a complex sell. Love it. Love it. And Rusty is the man to listen to, so I'll vouch for him kind of to finish off one more time. Thanks for uh, sharing your information, Rusty, today. I hopefully you all enjoyed the podcast. Follow us on LinkedIn under the sales prescription. Share with your friends share this information. If you need help or guidance, we've already had multiple people reach out for various capacities on the SDR level, the AE level. We're always willing to engage. So feel free to reach out and uh, chat with us. Love it. Everybody have a good day. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody.